Chapter 3. The Right Approach The question of how one should go about finding his zivug is a delicate one. We have seen the pitfalls of the secular approach of using false love and infatuation as the criteria for making decisions about marriage, but what is the best approach toward this worthy end? It should be consistent with the Torah framework and, at the time, from a practical point of view, should be very helpful. Perhaps you might say, it doesn't have to be so difficult. All we have to do is make a list of different attributes that a person should look for in a mate and then compare the prospective mate to the points on the list. If he or she satisfies enough of the conditions, then you have your ideal shidduch. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. One important principle in evaluating a potential spouse is that it is impossible to see the true character of someone you are dating until you are actually married. Despite all your investigation, the hours spent on the dates, the phone calls to parents, shadchanim, rabbis, etc., it's almost impossible to secure absolute true information about the other party. As frustrating as an idea may be, anyone who entered the holy sanctuary of marriage will attest to this. No matter what circle they belong to, they will tell you that whatever they thought they were getting was a false impression. But don't become pessimistic. It doesn't mean that they were disappointed. Very often they are pleasantly surprised. The point is, however, that there is almost no correlation between a person observing what a person observes before he gets married and what he ends up in reality. The Mashkiach of Mir used to say, what you thought you were getting, you didn't get, and what you thought you weren't getting, you got. The apple with the zest isn't always the best. This can be explained by a simple, simple parable. As you know, there is no correlation between the pulp of an apple and its peel. The outer skin is red, shiny, and has certain fragrance. This is what attracts us, but it's not what's in the apple. The special goodness of an apple is white, crisp, plump, whose juice is released only when you bite into it. What you enjoy has no connection to what, the origin, what originally attracted you to the fruit. When you pick it up in the supermarket, you really have no idea what kind of apple you are getting. Here's another example. Let's say a person is selecting seeds from a flower catalog. He looks through the catalog until he finds a picture of the flowers he would like to plant, writes down the catalog number, and mails an order for the seeds. In a few weeks, he gets his envelope in the mail. Does he have any inkling of what actually will develop from the seeds he sent for? He shakes the envelope and can hear the tinkling of the seeds inside, but he has no idea what will grow for them from them. Even if he opens up the envelope and looks at the seeds, smells them, tastes them, he still has no idea what will grow from them. He bases his choice on a picture of some beautiful flowers, but he might end up with watermelons, cucumbers, or poison ivy. He won't know until they finally sprout from the ground. He can hope that he wrote down the right number, and they printed the right number on the catalog, and that they read the right number correctly when they got his letter, that the worker put the right envelope in the order, but he really has no idea whatsoever. There is no way of testing this either. To be certain, one would need to actually plant the seeds, water them, and wait until the plant blossomed and grew flowers. In the secular world, people have tried various ways of learning everything about a prospective marriage partner, from the conventional systems of socially dating to act, actually living together. It's common knowledge that many secular couples living together for years in a harmonious fashion will very often find that their relationship fails when they finally do get married. Evidently, this doesn't work either, and the institution of marriage has failed for them as well. The unobtainable secret. There are a number of different reasons why it is impossible to form a complete picture from dating. First of all, marriage is a totally different reality than being single. 
whatever you do, whatever you do know about the person, whatever tests you have subjected them to, it does not reflect what will happen after marriage. It's not just moving into a house with someone or of standing under the chuppah in front of a video camera. It's, completely, it's a completely different reality. And how people live in the new reality is also totally different. The completely different circumstances have an effect on the person involved. Another factor is that a person's mazel changes. The Gemara says that when a woman gets married, she enters marriage under the mazel of her husband. By mazel, I don't mean luck. Rather, it's the spiritual channels through which Hashem rules the world. After marriage, her mazel changes, and the whole situation is different. This principle applies to many things. The Gemara says it's even true about buying a house. Recently, a couple told me how they were living in a rented apartment for a number of years without any problems. One day, the landlord decided to sell the apartment, and they were fortunate enough to buy it. The day the ownership changed hands, all kinds of strange things started to happen in the house. Things started to break down, bills piled up, etc. What they didn't understand was that now the house was in their possession and was subject to their mazel. Chazal say the same thing about matrimony. Forty days before the formation of an embryo, a heavenly voice declares, the daughter of this one to that one. So when you marry a young lady, though you have hired the FBI, CIA, and KGB, and Shin Bet to find out everything about her, all this changes once she enters your mazel. Even on the most external level, circumstances are subject to change. I know the case of a young woman who had a certain way of thinking, a certain behavior pattern, but right after she got married, one of her parents passed away, and this had a big effect on her whole personality. In this case, no amount of investigation could have predicted this outcome. We see, then, that all our attempts to discover what we are getting into won't amount to much once we step down from the chuppah. Adam, no, and the rest of us, yes? In the face of this puzzle, we have to ask, what does the Rabbani Shalom want from us? How are we supposed to go about getting married? Marriage is one of the most important steps of life. Its ramifications are awesome, and yet we are left groping in the dark. This Poor, innocent young man or lady is faced with a mountainous task. From millions of potential partners in the world, one has to find his proper zivug. How can God ask the entire human race to do something that even Adam Arisha didn't have to do? Adam fell asleep and woke up married. Even though Adam Arisha was a spiritual giant and we cannot really conceive who he was, nevertheless, to a certain degree, his life and actions echo down through generations and affect the lives of all his descendants. It's not likely that Adam, the father of all mankind, would have a system of acquiring his mate that was completely different from all the practice of his future generations. The Midrash and Parshas Vayetze says some people have to see their zivug, while others, their zivug comes to them. In the case of Yitzhak Avinu, Elazar went to find a wife for him. Yitzhak was sitting and learning. He got up to Davin Mincha, to Davin for his shidduch, took three steps back, lifted his eyes, and there was Rivkat coming towards him. On the other hand, Yaakov Avinu had to overcome all sorts of trials and tribulations until he got married. The question is naturally asked, which do I have to do? Do I have to run after my zivig, or will she come to me? What is the way of the Torah? We tell him the midrash, We tell him the above midrash. Sometimes it's this way and sometimes it's that. Fine, he replies, but what do I have to do after I've learned the midrash? What is the Midrash trying to tell us? The same Midrash tells a story of a discussion between Rabbi Yosef ben Chalafta and the Roman noblewoman. What has God been doing since he finished the work of creation, she asked. He's making Shaduchim, replied Rabbi Yossi. This young woman should marry that young man, 
the wife of this one should become the wife of another. Is that so hard, she replied? Even I can do that. That night she lined up all her maids and servants and paired them off, but it turned out to be a catastrophe. For the next morning they all came crying to her with broken arms, bruised eyes, and chipped teeth. I don't want this one for a spouse, each one complained. The point is that Rabbi Yossi was right. Hashem is the one who makes Shadokhan. And incredibly, this is said to be one of his main preoccupations. On the other hand, the whole matter of Shadokhan is frightening. On the other, we trust that Rabbi himself is busy making matches. This surely should relieve our worrying, knowing that we are in good hands. The next questions are, how do you obtain the Rabbi Yishalayim Shadokh, and how do you know who he or she is? The Red Light System To answer these questions, we must turn to one of the most important principles and foundations that our belief system stands on, whose implication goes far beyond the realm of finding your partner in marriage. It is the frame of mind of bitachan, and that mindset of relying upon Hashem's guidance through hashkacha pratas, to show who is our ziva. The couple meet through shatchanim, a friend or some circumstance. This obviously is a manifestation of hashkacha pratas. So now that they have met, what should their attitude be? Must they be absolutely certain when they meet that they are meant for each other? And until that point, there is no reason in the world to consider marrying? Or do we say that their mere fact that their meeting came about is enough of a reason for the couple to seriously consider whether they are suited for marriage? Is the match negative until proven positive, or positive until proven negative? This is probably the foremost and most crucial issue we will discuss in this book. It's imperative to mention and emphasize at this point that this issue does not affect the great effort both parties must invest in using every way available to them to investigate each other. Hashkacha Pratis has brought these two people together for this reason alone the boy and the girl must consider each other as a possible partner in marriage. This brings us to what I call the red light system. The fact that they met through Hashkacha Pratis is a powerful sign that the Shidduch should be taken seriously and given very thoughtful consideration. This is what is meant by positive until proven negative. What it amounts to is that the boy and girl should proceed on the path that leads to marriage unless the red light goes on. That is, there is a good enough reason to stop. This may not sit well with you when you first hear it, since the attitude that has been ingrained in us is quite the opposite, negative until proven positive. The decision to consider marriage is the logical conclusion after finding in the other person the many different positive qualities that must be presented in order to consider the person worthy enough. With the positive until proven negative outlook, we say the opposite. Hashem brought these two people together, and this is a zivug, unless the red light goes on. One, que- one question often asked regarding this approach is what about the positive feeling that should be pre- present, and what about physical attraction? The answer is that if, to, if these things are missing, the red light should go on. Of course, there are many valid things that can set the red light and stop the process. But if it doesn't go off, then you have to say, this young lady was brought into my life, and she seems to have the qualities I'm looking for in a wife. Hashem's hand is directing the situation, therefore I'm going to marry her. Who is the Shadchan? The Rabbi Shalom is the Shadchan. He arranged the Shadach of Adam Arishon, and likewise, he arranged your Shadach. I think this is so important that it's worth repeating. The Rabbi Shalom is your Shadchan. It doesn't really matter how you met the girl. It doesn't matter if the Shadchan is blind and deaf, or if on a flight some young lady needed help and there was no one else available, and by the time you got to America it turned into a long date, and El Al turns out to be your Shadchan, 
The point is, you meet a nice young lady, and she seems to have good character traits, come from a nice family, her brother is a Talmud Chacham, and she is pleasant looking, she was in your sister's class for 10 years, and you and was never known to lose her temper, and she has offered to buy you a house in Eretz Yisrael, and what do you say about this? But marry her? Why should I marry her just because she has all these qualities? How do I know she's destined to be my wife? Why should I stop here? She's a fine girl with fine qualities, but what does it have to do with her becoming my wife? That's what Chazal meant, that sometimes you have to go after your shidduch, and sometimes your shidduch comes to you. The main thing is that you have to flow with the hashkacha. Through Hashem's hashkacha, you were exposed to this young lady, and you should assume that she's destined to be your wife. I want to point out that if a person does not think along these lines, the following absurd situation can actually happen. After making a thorough investigation, the Bachar finds that the young lady meets all of his criteria. Just as he's considering marrying her, he gets a call from a shachan, a sincere person who means well. This person tells him that he has a shidduch for him. The young man hesitates and said, well, I'm actually seeing someone right now. But the other person replies, you're not engaged yet, are you? Just let me tell you about this girl. She's unbelievable. Never did I meet such a girl with such good character traits. She's very refined. She never loses her temper. She devotes to chesed and stays up nights helping people. Not since Sari Menu did you hear of such chesed. I don't want to talk too much about looks. I'm from the old-fashioned school, but if she wasn't religious, she could win a contest. So the Bachar thinks, well, the young lady I'm seeing now is nice, but this girl sounds even more special. And since he isn't actually engaged yet, he decides to meet the second girl. She turns out to be everything the Shachan said, and he's very happy. He decides to meet this... He's very happy that he decided to meet this second girl. The first girl seems mediocre in comparison. In no time at all, he considers proposing to the second girl. But then he says to himself, I was about to get engaged to the first girl, who I thought was very nice, but then I met the second girl and I couldn't believe the difference. Why should I stop here? Just then he gets a telephone call from an old friend who suggests a stupendous shidduch. He tells his friend about the girl he's dating, and the friend says, I know that girl. She is indeed tops, but the girl I'm suggesting is in a different class completely, with no comparison whatsoever. Her father has money, he loves Torah, he'll support you for the rest of his life. He's a lamdan also. The other girl does have good midos, but she doesn't compare to this girl in intelligence, integrity, and appreciation for Torah. We are talking about two different things altogether. The Bukhar then ends his relationship with the second girl and goes out with the third girl. His friend was right indeed. She is in a very different league entirely. Clearly this situation can go on forever. At what point then does he stop and get married? The potential for meeting someone better is always there. If he is waiting to feel infatuated and fall in love, and this is the only thing that concerns him in the search for a shidduch, then he's really in trouble with false values, as we explained above, and he is only aiming for the girl who ignites his heart. But on the other hand, if he's using his brains and being honest, at what point does it end? He can always say, I'm pushing 80, and I've already pushed away all the shidduchim, maybe now it's time to get married, but I've already waited 80 years, maybe the next one will be super, super nice. I once took a Bachar to speak with the stipler. Besides being the leading Torah scholar at the time, the stipler was a very holy man, and many people testified that he had divine inspiration. This Bachar was already getting in on age, and the stipler said to him, What can I do for you? You were meeting with your true zivug, and for insufficient reasons you called it off. He lost his shidduch for the wrong reasons. This is a very serious matter. You can't just say, She's a fine girl, but maybe I'll try for something better. Why stop there? 
Shaduchim is not like gambling. It's a tremendous responsibility. God brought this young woman into your life, and you have to decide whether or not she is your zivuk. What do you do? The only solution is to rely on Ashkacha Pratis and apply the red light theory. But I want to clarify this. I'm not suggesting that a person enters Shaduchim recklessly, without any thought. I don't mean that you should get involved in a shidduch blindly just because, through Ashkacha Pratis, you happen to meet a young lady. This is what's so difficult to understand. It's a delicate tightrope that we are balanced on. You have to make an effort. You have to investigate. The question is, what is your attitude behind your efforts? Do you have to know without a doubt that this is your destined mate? From the millions of eligible girls in the world, do you have a clear sign that this person is you, who you are destined to marry? Are you basing your decision on some secure feeling that this individual surely has all the characteristics you are looking for? Or, from the other perspective, since your investigation turned up positive answers, why shouldn't you become engaged to her? The prevailing attitude is that why not is not enough of a reason to get engaged. You have to know very clearly that the girl in question is the right one. So people fool themselves and they say, Yes, I see, I know, I feel that she is the right one. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you know? I'm sorry to say that you don't know anything. Even if she passed all the tests with flying colors, you still don't know what to expect once you're married. I heard from the Holy Rebbe, Rabbi Yecheskel Levenstein, the Mashkiach of Mir, and later Panovich, that there is no situation in the world that demands more faith than Shaduchim. This is because we really don't know anything. What is difficult is that a person must make a serious, systemic effort and take a realistic approach. But at the same time, and this is where he walks the tightrope, he has to realize his limitations, that we really don't know anything, and our only hope is to rely on Hashem. Incidentally, this conflict of ideas arises in many of our endeavors. In truth, a person should cry his eyes out in prayer, asking Hashem to show him if the young woman he is dating is a zivig or not, because there is no sure way of knowing. It's a big responsibility to become engaged or to terminate a shidduch, because maybe it is your zivuk. Maybe you're throwing away the zivuk that was meant to be from heaven. So you meet with the young lady until there is a red light. If the red light appears, you can assume that it's not your zivug and feel comfortable with that knowledge. This reminds me of something that the previous Amshanava Rabbi said. I pray that they throw bricks from the other side. In other words, he didn't want the responsibility of deciding whether a certain girl was a zivug or not. But he might make the wrong decision and throw away his zivug. But if the others, if the other side throws the brick and calls it off, then, as far as your efforts are concerned, you have nothing to worry about. You were going forward, and they lit the red light. The buffer zone. This ability to accept a no from the other party with this healthy attitude we just described is obviously helpful in a situation where one has doubts. However, it's also extremely beneficial even if you are sure. Just as you were preparing your script to propose to her, the shachan calls to break the news that she doesn't want to go out again. Some people are overwhelmed with sorrow, but if you have the right outlook, you take out your schnapps and say l'chaim, and push disappointment away. As long as you thought that you were responsible for the shidduch, you can become very upset with your castle, your tower, when it collapses. But if you realize how much you can be mistaken, even though the young woman seems like a terrific girl, she can really have many negative attributes, even if she really is a wonderful girl, maybe she's just not meant for you. Even though you've heard that she is Hashem's gift to the world, how do you know that she is for you, for your mentality, or for your personality structure? That's why you don't feel disappointed. 
Heavenly doesn't spell happily. This heavenly shidduch does not mean that it will necessarily be a successful marriage, or that you will be the happiest man in the world. The right shidduch means that you found the young woman who Hashem intended you to marry. Sometimes you see a marriage that has run into trouble, and you tend to think that the husband is unfortunate, but that does not mean that that's the right, isn't the right shidduch. Perhaps it was a decree from heaven that this person should be tested in this way. We're in this world to obtain perfection, and the Rabbi Shalom uses a wife or a husband to aid us in achieving that goal. Sometimes that involves suffering, which cleanses us of our sins, or testing our patience, or teaching us to control our anger. This is the zivug, and it was presented as a test. What is proof for this? The one person in history who certainly married his right shidduch was Adam Arishon, and we know that she caused him some very significant problems. Would you say that she was the wrong shidduch because of this? Shimshon also married through Ashkacha Pratis, yet we see that his wife was not a source of happiness for him. Sometimes a person's shidduch leads to tears and sorrow, and sometimes it's bound up with song and joy. So we see that the right shidduch does not always mean a pleasant shidduch. This proper attitude also makes a very big difference in our adjustment to married life. When Yaakov Avinu arranged his shidduch through Lavan, he suspected that Lavan would try to trick him. Therefore, he wrote out in the marriage contract with great precision, adding the words, Rachel, your youngest daughter, as if Lavan didn't know who Rachel was. Yet what did Lavan do? He put Leah onto the chuppah instead of Rachel. Now Yaakov Avinu, we know, was the pillar of Torah and wisdom in the world, and he was already suspicious of Lavan to the point of writing a special marriage contract. Didn't he suspect that Levin would do such a thing like that and put Leah onto the chuppah? Between the photographer, the music, and his long list of people to daven for, did he forget to check if it was Rachel under the chuppah? Only on the next day does he discover that it was Leah. How can we understand this? Yaakov Avinu was the epitome of Das Torah. He knew how much effort the Torah required him to make, and he did whatever he was supposed to do. After that, he relied on his faith in Hashem to guide him. At first glance, it seems that his effort didn't work, and Lovin got the better of him. What a wedding that was. Lovin was ecstatic over his success in tricking Yaakov. And what came out of that trick? None other than Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zebulon. That was some trick. He thought he really pulled the wool over Yaakovinu's eyes, but the whole tribes, the holy tribes, were born of that trick. Levi, the Kahuna, Yehuda, Malchus, Yisachar, Torah, and that and that was the result of Lavan's trick. It was destined from heaven that they should come from Leah. Yaakov Vinu didn't know that. He knew he was supposed to marry Rachel. He didn't know that he was also supposed to marry Leah, so he made an effort. He specified, Rachel, your youngest daughter. He knew Lavan wanted to trick him, so he made an effort to stop him. He did as much as Das Torah required of him. The rest he left to, heavenly shat, to the heavenly Shachan, the Shachan who arranged Adam Harishon's Shadach. Hashem matched Yaakov with Leah, and that's why we have Kal Yisrael today. This exemplifies, in a most beautiful manner, the concept that we are discussing. You have to make your efforts, and you have to take them seriously, but you don't have to create the shidduch. Apply the red light system, and above all, remember that God is the master of our destiny. You have to leave room in your heart and mind for divine providence, while at the same time making your utmost efforts.